Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Good evening, warriors. Tonight we're going to be reading an excerpt from Beneath the Banner being narratives of noble lives and brave deeds by F.J. Cross. The excerpt that we're going to be reading is called A Friend of Prisoners, the story of John Howard. In St. Paul's Cathedral, there stands a monument representing a man with a key in his right hand and a scroll in his left. Whilst on the pedestal from which he looks down are pictured relics of the prison life of the past. The man is John Howard, who traveled tens of thousands of miles and spent many years in visiting Gauls all over England and the continent and endeavoring to render prison life less degrading and brutalizing. Wherever he went, prison doors were unlocked as if he possessed a magic key. And by his life and books, he did more to help prisoners than any other man. It is only just over a hundred years since John Howard died. Yet in his day, persons could be put to death for stealing a horse or a sheep or for robbing dwellings, for defrauding creditors, for forgery, for wounding deer, for killing or maiming cattle, for stealing goods to the value of five shillings, or even cutting a band in a hop plantation. And many persons who were innocent of any offense would lie in dungeons for years. At his father's death, John Howard came into possession of a good property and marrying a lady some years older than himself, settled down on his estate and passed three years of quiet happiness. And then a great grief came to him. His wife died and Howard was bowed down with sorrow. But the distress brought with it a longing to be a comfort to others. And he set out for Lisbon, which had just been visited by the earthquake of 1755 with the hope of assisting the homeless and suffering. France and England were then at war, and on his way thither he was captured by a French vessel and thrown into prison. He was placed in a dark, damp, filthy dungeon and was half starved. For two months he was kept a prisoner, and as soon as he was free, he set about obtaining the release of his fellow captives. Some years later, he became a sheriff of Bedford and began visiting the prisoners in the Gaul, where John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. 
From the inquiries he made during the course of his visitations, he was astonished to find that the gaolers received no salary and that they lived on what they could make out of the prisoners. As a result, it often happened that those who had been acquitted at their trial were kept in the prison long afterwards because they were unable to pay the fees which the gaoler demanded. Horrified at the state which he found the prison and the abuses of justice that prevailed, John Howard determined to find out what was done in other parts of the kingdom and visited a number of gauls throughout the country. Fearful places he found them to be. Boys who were taken to gaul for the first time were put with old and hardened criminals. The prisoners were dirty and ill-smelling. The dungeons were dark and unhealthy. And unless prisoners could afford to pay for comforts, they were obliged to sleep on cold, bare floors. Even delicate women not being exempted from such cruel treatment. At Exeter, he found two sailors and Gaul, having been fined one shilling each for some trifling offense and owing two shillings for fees to the gaolers and clerks of the peace. When he visited Cardiff, he heard a man had just died in prison after having been there for 10 years for a debt of seven pounds. At Plymouth, he found that three men had been shut up in a dark, lonely room, only five and a half feet high, so they could neither breathe freely nor stand upright. Hundreds of cases as bad or worse than those to discover and bring before public notice. He gave evidence before the House of Commons of what he had seen. Then Acts of Parliament were passed, providing that gallows should be paid out of the rates, that prisoners who were found not guilty should be set at liberty at once, that the prisoners should be kept healthy and clean, and prisoners should be properly clothed and attended to. Determined that these acts should not remain a dead letter, he went about the country, seeing what Parliament required was actually carried out. Not content with what he had already done, he traveled abroad, inspecting the prisons of France, Holland, Russia, Switzerland, Germany, and other countries in order to see how they compared with those in Great Britain. Strange to say, he discovered that in a number of cases, they were in many ways better. And the prisoners, unlike their prisoners in Britain, were generally employed in some useful manner. When he was in London, on one occasion, he heard that there had been a revolt in the military prison in the Savoy. Two of the gallows had been killed and the rioters had possessed the building. Howard set off for the prison, though he was warned his life would not be safe if he ventured inside. Nothing daunted, he went among the prisoners and soon persuaded them to go back to their cells peaceably, promising to bring their grievances before the authorities. At Paris, he was unable for a long time to get into that great prison house, which then existed called the Bastille. Try as he would, he could gain no admittance. But one day he was passing, he went to the gate of the prison 
rang the bell and marched in. After passing the sentry, he stopped and took a good look at the building. And he had to beat a hasty retreat and narrowly have escaped capture, but by that time he had partly accomplished his object. When Howard was in Russia, the Empress sent a message saying she desired to see him. But he returned an answer saying that he was devoting his time to inspecting prisons and had no leisure for visiting the palaces of rulers. At Rome, however, he was prevailed to go on and see the Pope on the express understanding that he should not be obliged to kiss His Holiness' toe, and he came away with a very pleasant remembrance of the Holy Father. At Vienna, the Emperor Joseph II specifically requested an interview. Howard refused at first to meet the Emperor's wishes. But on the English ambassador, representing good might come of the visit, Howard went to see His Majesty and remained with him two hours in conversation. During the time, he made the Emperor acquainted with the bad state of some of the Austrian prisons. Once or twice, the Emperor was angered by Howard's plainness of speech, but told the ambassador afterwards that he liked the prison reformer all the better for his honesty. Having made up his mind to see the quarantine establishment at Marseille, Howard made his way through France. Although he was so feared and disliked by the government, he was warned if he were caught in that country, he would be thrown into the Bastille. He disguised himself as a doctor, and after some narrow escapes at Marseille, visited the Lazarato, or place of detention for the infected even though Frenchmen were forbidden to do so. He took drawings of the place, and then he went on a tour to many southern cities. He was at Smyrna while fever was raging with fury, and went amongst the sick and fever-stricken, fearless of the consequences. In the course of his travels, the ship in which he was passenger was attacked by pirates, and John Howard showed himself as brave in actual battle as he was in fighting abuses. For he loaded the big gun with which the ship was armed nearly up to the muzzle with nails and spiked and fired it into the pirate crew just in time to save himself and his companions from destruction. The books in which he gave an account of his experiences were eagerly read by the public and produced a profound effect. His last journey was to Russia at Cherson, he received an urgent request to visit a lady who had the fever. The place where she lived was many miles off and no good horses were to be obtained. But he was determined not to disappoint her. So he procured a dray horse and started for his destination on a wintry night with rain falling in torrents. As a result of this journey, he was stricken down by the fever and died the 20th of January, 1790. Howard was a very hard worker and a man of most frugal habits. He was often up by two o'clock in the morning writing and doing business until seven when he breakfasted. He ate no flesh food and drank no wine or spirits. He had a great dislike to any fuss being made about him personally 
And though 1,500 pounds was subscribed during his life to erect a memorial, it was, at his earnest desire, either returned to the subscribers or spent in assisting poor debtors. But after his death, a memorial was put in St. Paul's, and quite recently, a monument has been erected at Bedford, where he first began his labors on behalf of prisoners. So let's talk about John Howard in the context of the warrior. And we'll see some parallels that are quite interesting. The first question that comes to mind when we think about him being happily married and living on a plantation for three years is, would he have become the man that he was had he not been challenged by circumstance, had his wife not died, would he have been comfortable to live out the rest of his years without ever making a difference for anybody or to simply fade into history as not ever having been a person that was even worth writing about? It's an interesting question, isn't it? So the question for you warriors is, first off, have you worked so hard in your life to make yourself comfortable and content and at peace, only to find that you're leaving no legacy? This isn't to say, go sell all your possessions and go visit prisons around your country, but it is to say, maybe we can have a different approach when it comes to our own suffering. And rather than wanting to immediately change it and get rid of it as quickly as possible to be comfortable again, we can see that it is these sufferings, these trials, that give us an opportunity to pause and decide what is really worth it. What is your legacy? What is it the thing that you'll live and die for? So John Howard began his adventure and began his entire life's mission through tragedy. I don't wish that on any of you, but I think that there is merit to us in creating a pressure that moves us forward to do great things when we think about our daily activities and creating a pressure, isn't that why we're trying to be more educated? Why we're lifting weights at the gym? Why we're taking care of ourselves? Why we're eating clean? Why we're doing all of these self-improvement activities? Isn't that why? So that we have the pressure to transform. Hopefully it doesn't take something as extreme for most warriors to transform and become the person they want to be. Another really interesting facet about John Howard was in his travels to the prisons. You see that he was just an extremely humble person and just bringing to light the abuses that were going on. 
But it's an interesting thing. Wasn't he just an ordinary man? Sure. But what he did exemplified the honor of the warrior. And it also exemplified the courage and strength of the warrior. Why I bring that up is because it seems so often that we view these great things, these great tasks, and assume that they have to have been performed by some kind of a superman, by someone who is far better than us in every way in life. When in fact, heroism and courage and the warrior spirit is most often found in everyday man doing extraordinary activities. I don't know much about John Howard. I'd like to think that there came a time with all of his efforts and all of the transformations he did within the prison system and in dealing with the sick and infirm that he looked within and said, you know, I am a great man and therefore I'm going to do great things. Think about our own lives. When's the last time you said, I'm a great person, I'm going to do great things? Imagine as you're falling off to sleep, what it would be like to transform an entire country, to reform something, to fight an injustice, to right a wrong that way, to be like John Howard and to be a simple man who went forth and did great things. Did John Howard possess the courage? Did he possess the heroism and the strength and the will when he began his journey? No. It began through tragedy. And he simply took action. As you're falling asleep, think about the small actions that you can take that can result in such profound changes over time that you could never expect it at the beginning of your journey. The fact that John Howard died and rather than seeing a memorial placed, he instead asked that the money be used in assisting poor debtors to get out of prison, obviously, or return to the people that donated it speaks a lot to his character as another aspect of the warrior. That he simply said, I just did what needed to be done. And he had no expectation of glory or any kind of, you know, uh, valor to be ascribed to him. He simply did what needed to be done. That's another aspect of the warrior that we should look to. So as you fall asleep, put yourself in the position of John Howard, that you're going around the country writing something wrong, that you're fixing something that you know isn't correct, and that you're encouraging others to hire hope, and that you're encouraging others to hold a higher standard for themselves so that they too can become the hero that you already are.